I invite you to once again turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we'll be reading the first 11 verses, with our focus this evening being on verses 1 to 4, where the Apostle Paul pens these words again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking to the New Testament church. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we listen to what the Lord has to teach us from this passage this evening. Congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this particular section of this letter starting at, chapter, at the beginning of chapter 3, is what we might call a, a, a transition or a transitional part of Paul's letter. Uh, we, what we mean by that is, is Paul is going to change his focus. He's going to move from the theological to the more practical. As we heard in our reading, he begins to tell us as Christians how we are to live as God's people, as redeemed saints in Christ. And if we were listening carefully, we know that some of these things are very difficult. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, in and of ourselves, impossible to accomplish. Who can put to death, really, our members on the earth? Things like fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Paul goes on to talk about putting off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. He goes on to say, do not lie to each other. These are difficult, difficult things that we are called to and yet we have, we will be struggling with all through our lives in these last days. And that's the point of our sermon this evening. We have to focus on what Paul expresses here and sets before us in these first four verses on the ascension of Christ and his being seated at the right hand of God the Father. Because unless we understand the power that is ours in Christ and the help that is ours in Christ our Savior in his exalted position, the points of application that come after in the rest of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4 will be merely fine-sounding moral suggestions and we will fail at them. We cannot hope to obey God's commands if we separate them from the only source of strength that we have, the only source of power that we have, that is Christ Jesus, 
our risen and ascended Savior and Lord. And that's why Paul begins here in chapter 3 to instruct us to keep our thoughts heavenly where Christ is. To be focusing, to be oriented to the right thing. The, the, on, upon Christ, who was ascended to the right hand of his Father. And we're reminded immediately in this that, that we, while we have triumphed in Christ, we may count ourselves victors, triumphant saints. We know that the fight is not over for us while we dwell here on earth. We have gained the prize, but yet we have not taken hold of it. Many challenges come our way, threatening to disturb our comfort having the potential of turning us on the straight and narrow path. We try, don't we, to live obedient and thankful lives, and yet day after day we don't see consistency. We get distracted. There are pressures that take our focus off of, of what we should be focusing on. We get physically and emotionally, and mentally, and even spiritually tired at times, we have our limits. Life happens. We are cleansed, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but we are still just ordinary people, ordinary human beings with ordinary lives. And so that's why we need to keep things in perspective. We need to be ever mindful of what Jesus Christ has done for us, and the further blessing, the continued blessing of his ascension and his heavenly reign. While we live out our callings on earth, we have to keep our focus on our ascended Lord and Savior and the glories of heaven that he holds and he possesses. Our theme then, as we look at Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4 this evening, is this. Christ commands his earthbound children to be upward-minded. Christ commands his earthbound children, that's you and me, to be upward-minded. We'll look at two points this, after, this evening. Uh, in the first place, what this means, and second place, how this comforts. Well, Paul is really tying together his teachings here. He's summing up what he has been declaring to the Colossians in the previous verses. And as we said, uh, his discussions up to this point has been mainly theological. And this was important that he do this in light of some of the heresies that he had been addressing as he wrote to the Christians in Colossa. Uh, if we understand the context of the New Testament church, the early church, we know that there were many uh, false teachers that were, were coming into the churches, their, their minds tainted by Greek philosophy, there were others who still wanted to promote Old Testament rituals and ceremonies, they criticized the Christians at Colossa, for instance, for not viewing, and we find this in the earlier parts of Colossians, uh, they criticized the Colossian Christians for not viewing the religious festivals, new moon celebrations, and Sabbath days as having value toward their salvation. And they upheld and they promoted the validity of circumcision and law-keeping to either gain one's salvation or to keep oneself in favor with God. And these false teachers, what they didn't get, or they were misled, or they just refused to see, is that all of these Old Testament requirements given by Moses had become obsolete in Christ Jesus. All of these Old Testament 
uh, rituals and ceremonies were merely pointers. They were pictures, they were foreshadows of what Jesus would accomplish by his perfect life and sacrificial death. In fact, Paul speaks in chapter, in, in verse 1 of believers as having been raised with Christ. And this is reference to what he has uh, said already in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. He says, In him, that is in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the death, from death. And so he teaches us here that baptism symbolizes a raising from the dead. We who were spiritually dead because of sin, that is, we were unable to respond to God's call and incapable of doing anything that is pleasing to him, we who were spiritually dead have now been made alive through Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, we have already experienced a resurrection from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so the question is, why then would we want to go back or backwards? Why would we want to return to the things that were merely pointers and preparations for the one who was coming to fulfill all of these things. Why would we want to spend our efforts trying to get something that we already possess? Instead, Paul instructs us in verses 1 and 2, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Two commands are given here. First of all, to seek the things above. And secondly, to set your minds on things above. And the first command gives the sense that there are rich treasures to be had. And we are to be continually striving to obtain these treasures. Our hearts are to be oriented to profitable things, not the unprofitable things of this earth. And the second command of Paul here is to set our minds on things above. Literally, it says in the Greek, uh, be mindful of the things above. And it has to be, has to do with, with thinking or pondering on the things above, heavenly things. And so, whereas before conversion, our thoughts were always on the earthly, on the present, now our thoughts are to be on the things above. Well, we have to ask then, well, what does that mean exactly? Things above. Well, in the Bible, a contrast is made between heaven and earth. And ethically and morally speaking, the earth is portrayed as the theater of sin. In light of Genesis 3 verse 17, where the ground is cursed, the earth is continued to be portrayed in scripture as the stage of fallen creation. Paul writes to the Romans, for instance, that creation was subjected to frustration and groans as in the pains of childbirth. Earth is the place where man's sinfulness is displayed. Satan was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And heaven, on the other hand, is portrayed as the place where holiness and godliness exists. God's throne is in heaven and the angels worship him in heaven. The Lord's prayer indicates that heaven is a place of perfect obedience. It teaches us to pray that the Lord's will may be done on earth 
even as it is done in heaven. But above all, the reason we are to set our hearts and minds on the things above is because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, which is an allusion to uh, what we sang earlier, Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so this enthronement prophesied in the Old Testament has been fulfilled. Jesus, our Savior, has ascended, and he now sits at his Father's right hand. This kind of language describes the exalted position of Christ, his majesty, his power and the great privilege that is his. In Philippians 2, verses 10 to 11, Paul speaks of Christ as having been given the name above every other name that is Lord. He is the one before whom every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that he is Lord. All authority, he said in Matthew 28, has been given to him over heaven and earth. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, we hear that he will judge the living and the dead. And so when Paul speaks of seeking or pondering, meditating upon the things above, he's directing us to Christ as he sits at the right hand of God. Christ our Lord holds the position of supreme ruler and sovereign. And so we're not to be distracted by keeping our thoughts on the earthly, on the things, on the people, on the pleasures of this earth that are temporary, that cannot ultimately save us, that cannot give any kind of lasting joy and peace. We must be upward-minded Christians, our hearts oriented to the heavenly realm where Christ reigns as King. He alone is our head, our commander-in-chief, our source of spiritual nourishment, our sustainer, in spiritual warfare. Didn't Jesus himself command us in John 15 to abide or to remain in him? Why? Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Our efforts to live godly lives, our efforts to subdue sin in our lives, our efforts to stand fast in our faith will always fail if we are not constantly seeking the blessings that only our Lord Jesus Christ can give. The inspired author of Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, tells us that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know the rest of this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's where we keep our focus. That's where we keep our minds. And congregation, don't get this wrong. This is not an exhortation to ignore earthly life and think only about heaven. We're not being called here to, you know, Keep your head in the clouds, as the saying goes. We're reminded here of the continual presence of temptation, the continuing rebellion of our flesh, and in contrast to the false teachers of Paul's day with their legalism and dependence on their own efforts and their own good works, Paul is reminding us of what we need to be focused on. Not our own strength, not our own failings, not putting our trust in practices and customs, but upon the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. But now Paul gives further incentive to keep our hearts and thoughts on what is heavenly. We see in the second place how this teaching comforts. Listen again to verses 3 to 4. For you died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we're asking, how does this teaching of Christ sitting at God's right hand, having ascended, how is this a comfort to us? Well, a couple of ways. First of all, Paul teaches that we have died to sin in Christ. That means that the power of sin has been broken in us. We have been delivered from the tyranny of sin because of the perfect sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Our sinful natures, we're taught, were crucified with Him. In Him, we are born again to new life. We are no longer um, in slavery to sin. Christ has come and fulfilled all righteousness for us. In Him, the sinful nature, the old man, has been crucified. That's comfort number one. But arising out of that is the second feature of our comfort. And this has specifically to do with the ascension of Christ. Paul says that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. What is he saying here? He's saying that our salvation is safely kept. It is hidden away. It is guarded. As we would say in, our, in, uh, in the, the way we talk today, under lock and key, right? In Christ. You know, you hear that and you say, well, no wonder Jesus could say to us, no one can snatch my children from my hand. This is what we confess when we sing that wonderful song, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. This is the basis of our confession in Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a a confession of tremendous comfort. We died, and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. That, that's worthy of, of a little bit of reflection. What does that mean exactly? Well, the theme of, of hiding, if you are used to going through the Bible and, and, uh, and finding themes that pop up from time to time, you find something recurring, uh, you know, bread and... Uh, and, 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 and seas and, and uh, different things, sin. Uh, you'll find hiding is something that pops up from time to time. Already we hear about this uh, a mention of hiding for the first time actually in Genesis 3 verses 8 to 10 where we hear the sad story of Adam and Eve and they, were, and they heard, this is after they sinned, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Okay, so this mention of hiding here in Genesis 3 is foundational for the rest of Scripture. It describes something of our former, of our fallen condition. Before the fall, we find man having perfect fellowship and communion with God. After the fall, man runs from God and actually hides from God to escape his presence. And this continues all through history. And this theme of hiding comes up again and again and again in the Bible. Uh, for instance, baby Moses is hidden from Pharaoh. 
Rahab hides the spies in the time in the in the city of Jericho. In Judges six, we see that even uh, we see even the nation of Israel had to hide in mountain holes to escape the Midianites. How many times didn't David go into hiding to escape death from Saul? And we could list many, many more. The point is. This theme of, of hiding is a recurring one in the Bible. We see it again and again. But now, in light of man's need for protection, in light of this vulnerability that is ours now because of sin, listen to a few verses from the Old Testament. Psalm 32, verse 7, where we confess as God's people, Psalm 32, verse 7, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Listen to uh, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge. What's a refuge? It's a hiding place, a place we go to for safety. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Listen to verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, place of uh, hiding. Listen as well. And these are just a sample of, of verses in the Old Testament. But uh, uh, one uh, Psalm 143, verse 9. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies, for in you I take shelter. And what we begin to hear in the Old Testament is that there is only one place of safe refuge. There is only one true hiding place. That is in God himself. He alone is our place of ref of safety, of refuge. And if we are to survive, we have to return to that place of refuge, that place of safety. But for this to happen, we needed a savior. We needed one who would come to us and search for us and take hold of us and hide us in his love's embrace. And that's what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Our Savior has been crucified. He has taken away our need to run away from God by bearing the consequences of our sin upon himself. And now he has ensured that we, his sheep, can never be lost. No one can snatch us from our Father's hands. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 verse 20, On that day, that is the day of his glory, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And so, beloved of God, dear saints in Christ, understand your eternal security based on this teaching. As believers, we are divinely protected in what we might call a double-walled fortress. We are in Christ and Christ is in God. Jesus also gave us a beautiful image in Matthew 23 that God longs to gather us under his wings as a hen gathers her chicks. This has been accomplished in Christ Jesus. We are safely tucked away beneath our Father's wings where he will allow no harm to befall us. We're no longer hiding from him. We are hiding in him. And beloved, this is our joy on this Ascension Day. Christ has taken us with him and he safely keeps us in him. We don't need to worry about earning 
our salvation or working to keep our salvation. In Christ, true believers are already righteous and we already possess eternal security. And this can never be taken away. And if the liars and the false teachers and the scoffers and the skeptics of today want to mock us and say, well, how, <clears throat> how can you be so sure about that? I don't see any physical evidence. Where is your proof? Then you look them in the eye and you calmly say to them, just you wait and see. Paul says that when Christ returns, we will also appear with him in glory. In Matthew 25, you remember, Jesus speaks of his, his coming in glory with all his angels with him and he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. In 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, we're taught that, that Jesus will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And at that time, we will appear with him. And our righteous status will be shown. And our true citizenship will be revealed to all. All who mock us now will know for sure who we really are. One ancient writer says it very profoundly. Listen to this. He says, the day of the revelation of the Son of God will be the day of the revelation of the sons of God. That's you and me. The day of the revelation of the Son of God will be the day of the revelation of the sons of God. In congregation, this is our comfort as we remember the ascension of our Savior to his heavenly glory today. That those who truly trust in Christ Jesus, our Savior, have eternal security. We don't have to wonder if we will lose our salvation tomorrow. If we truly trust in Jesus. We don't have to worry about if we have done enough. If we truly trust in Jesus. Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father, ruling as our sovereign King. Our salvation is hidden with him in God. And when he appears, we will be revealed on that day for who we are before the eyes of the whole world. This is our confident confession. That's not to say that we will not continue to struggle with sin. Of course we will. Daily experience tells us that. Suffering in, in some form or fashion will always be with us. But as we continue our pilgrimage here on earth, we may keep looking to our Lord Jesus Christ, our ascended King, our exalted Savior, our comfort for life, for this life and the next. And find peace and joy and safety found nowhere else in this world. Amen.